0: Yo. Technology. What is it all about?
1: Back in the dorm, we couldn't anticipate this. But you think about it. They were out of the dorm within four months, and they were in Silicon Valley. He was surrounded by some of the best minds in Silicon Valley. Mm. He had this great advice, and everything went great for him. Uh, He was able to make that pivot from a college network to something that served everyone in the world
0: hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley we have a throwback edition for you this week so as you are no doubt well aware this has been an absolutely monster week for big tech so Apple Microsoft Alphabet Facebook All reported just gigantic profits, generally blowing away what were already ratcheted up expectations from Wall Street. We're talking about many, many tens of billions of dollars between them. Um, And it really just highlighted this growing concentration of power amongst the big guys, as well as just this broader shift of more and more money flowing to the internet, more and more time being spent online. And so that is one bit of context. The other thing you may have noticed, uh, which I touched on in the paper last week, is that Mark Zuckerberg has kind of broken cover about what his next big plan is. And that is to make Facebook a metaverse company. And his idea is that in five to 10 years, Facebook will not be known so much as a social media company, but a metaverse company. Now, the metaverse. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of this concept of really the melding of kind of the physical world and the digital world in a new type of virtual space. And it's a place where you could kind of theoretically work, make money, make art, have relationships, kind of theoretically spend most of your time or much of your time in the metaverse in this kind of brave new world. Now, it's obviously a pretty far out idea. That term comes from Snow Crash, which came out in 1992, a great science fiction novel. But Zuckerberg really appears very focused on this. Um, he's telling anybody who will listen that that is the direction that Facebook is going. And obviously Oculus, their, you know the VR headset, would play a very big role in that, I would guess. You get the idea. So that is happening. You have that over there. You have Facebook, which recently became a trillion-dollar company, just past the trillion-dollar market cap. You have the soaring profits and this whole shift to this kind of brave new world. I thought it was just worth surfacing an interview that I did last year with Stephen Levy, who wrote a book called Facebook, The Inside Story, which was based on years of reporting. Uh, Levy's been around for decades in Silicon Valley. He's super well-connected. And the book was based on a bunch of interviews with Zuckerberg himself, as well as a bunch of other insiders. And it really gives a great sense, better than pretty much anything else I've read on Facebook, and there's obviously been a lot written about this company, of the company, who Zuckerberg is, what makes him tick, kind of his direction of travel, his motivations, etc. And I just think in the context of everything I just laid out, the metaverse, the metaverse, It becoming a trillion dollar company, etc. It's worth bringing this to the surface because I think, you know, whether we like it or not, Zuckerberg is determined that this company will be kind of at the heart of life as we know it or life as he envisions it for years, maybe even decades to come. So that is what you're about to hear now. It is my interview, which we published in March 2020 with Stephen Levy right before or kind of right as the pandemic was really getting going, um, which is also a bit of a weird window to the past. But anyhow, I know you're going to enjoy this one, so here it is. Enjoy.
1: I could pinpoint exactly when I wanted to do this book. It was August 27th, 2015, and that's the day that Mark Zuckerberg posted something on Facebook that wound up in my news feed and probably a news feed of a million other people, saying that a billion people had been on Facebook the day before. That, crossing the billion person threshold. Yeah, yeah but right. on the same day. Right. So like the World Cup, right? You get like over a billion people. But that's like passive viewers. Yeah. People just sit there. This is an interactive network where presumably the utterance of one person on that network can reach in theory, everyone in the network, it's really a whole nexus of interlocking individual networks and one of those complicated maps, like you see, of the internet. And this was an amazing achievement. Like, to get such a big, significant portion of the world on the same network on the same day, what's more, this wasn't a spike. This mm. was a baseline. It was just yeah, going to get yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. So I figured, this hasn't happened before. I want to write about this. I want to write about how this happened, who did it, how they did it, what uh, went right, and what could go wrong. Uh,
0: 2015.
1: 2015. Yeah. And I had been covering Facebook for a long time, knew the people, and spent the next few months trying to get them to give me access for the book I wanted to write. And it took a while, but, so I wasn't invited in, I sort of invited myself in, And literally a year from that day where I saw that post, I was off to go to Nigeria with Mark Zuckerberg to begin my research.
0: It was a very different time. Oh, yeah. So I will confess, when I started reading the book, it's almost like a PR tour of uh, Nigeria. I kind of like internally, I was like, uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) but I had to take myself back to that time because I actually I moved here. December 2016 so right after the election of Trump it was around that time that people were still talking about Zuckerberg was like oh maybe he's going to run for president Facebook was still seen as this thing that it had problems but most people had not paid attention to those problems and it was still seen as just phenomenon more than anything else and it's just hard to kind of place yourself back in that time because obviously things have just Transformed wildly. Yeah,
1: that's why I started that way. So you can get a look at exactly. pink Facebook, and then woof, tables whisked away, and you know all the dishes clattered to the ground. Yeah, exactly. So and so, how much time did you end up
0: spending with Zuckerberg over the kind of the course of this? I research?
1: talked to him. I, I counted it actually. I, I put in the, role, the book seven times, and I like really counted more carefully. It was like I talked to him nine times during the book. As it went on, our conversations got more and more frank. They Yeah, more and more, Frank. Yeah. That's surprising. Well, what happens when you do a book like this is you're kind of like an anthropologist yeah, going into some weird culture somewhere. First, you go in there, and you don't know the language, and you don't know what the, the real inside culture is, and so you stumble around a little. And as you talk more, you learn the abbreviations they use. You learn about the little things that all the folks have in common for instance in the big building of headquarters of Facebook it's a quarter mile long and there's you know there's no kind of orderly way yeah. things are arranged but there are two corridors that you can kind of traverse the building for and they're sort of nicknamed like 101 and 280 just like the way you go down right. from San Francisco to the Silicon Valley two big highways and I learned about the projects that were started and abandoned and and a lot of other things, and. So as you master that company and the culture and then begin to talk to people in that language, they're more frank with you. So as I learned Facebook better, my conversations with Zuckerberg became richer. So eventually he's talking to me, you know, uh, understanding that I, I know this company as well as an employee. He can't skate over things or, and I'm able to ask him questions much more directly than you normally would. Could you talk about that first time you met him? Because
0: you recount it in the book, and it's really fascinating. And obviously, he's come a long way since then, but still,
1: he's still Zuckerberg. Right, yeah. Uh, so I first met Mark Zuckerberg in March 2006. Facebook itself was invented, you know, just two years before that. And So he was, what,
0: 21
1: or something, maybe? Yeah, he was 21 at that time. I was working for Newsweek magazine, and we were working on a story about something called Web 2.0 where this version of the web was going to be people-oriented. And right. People were putting up content, and that was the center of a lot of these apps like MySpace and YouTube and Flickr. And I would heard about Facebook as a really successful network of college students right. and wanted to meet the young CEO of this company. Figured maybe I'd get a quote from him. And I arranged to meet him at this tech conference, it was one of these sunny locations. Yep. You know, where you go in a resort hotel. We had arranged to meet at lunch. Everyone retreated to this big field with these round tables. So I asked him some softball questions at first, like, Yeah, you know, how many colleges and yeah. how many people, how many employees? And he didn't say anything. He just stared at me. Blank. Blank. You know, with eyes wide open. And I'm thinking, did I offend him? Is he going through an episode? What's happening here? (laughs) And this this silence, it felt like a very long time. It wasn't a great interview. What I found interesting in retrospect is later on, as I was researching this book, I came across pages from a notebook Hmm. that he had kept during that period. And at the time, he was re. Designing Facebook to be a totally different kind of product. He was moving beyond college students into connecting everyone in the world. Right. And he was changing the design of Facebook to go from a place where people put up their profile information and almost like a physical book, you turn a page and look at a yeah, profile. Yeah, yeah. So you go, you sort of skip from profile to profile to something where there would be a stream of information that information will be pushed to you. Yeah. You know, like a like a newspaper arriving at your door. Algorithmically edited. But also a different experience when that information is delivered to yeah. you that way. And he also had in that notebook was outlining his vision for Facebook as what he called an information engine, a database like a great government database he said yeah, yeah. where it would have information on everyone in the world, speculating about this product called dark profiles that would uh, contain a profile of so people who had not signed up on Facebook. Collated from information out there on the web. Yeah, where your friends yeah. would put it up. Yeah. Uh, now, that part didn't happen, but I did find out there was a dark profile presence of, of people on Facebook that some of the employees told me about. Yeah. It's, it was a great contrast to me to say, this guy staring at me. I figured, you know, I'm talking to a severe stroke victim, to someone <laughs> who is actually designing a product that would – be an unprecedented success in bringing in, you know, like a huge population uh, to use it. It's, if it were a country, it'd be the biggest country in the world. How did you get that notebook? In other words, did he give it to you? Or, or well, he couldn't you... give it to me, as it turns out, because he destroyed these notebooks. Right. Yeah. You know, so I had, I had learned about the notebook. You know, a couple people had read that, you know, he had kept a notebook. And, right. You know, and they also wrote that he destroyed the notebook. But they also a couple places wrote the saying sometimes he would copy a few pages of the notebook and give it to some of the people who were designing the products he was gotcha. outlining. Right. Or you this know, is, some this people. is my vision. Yeah. So I figure, wow, if any of these pages exist, I really want to see them. So anyone I talked to from the early Facebook who I thought might have those pages yeah. or might have known someone who had the pages that shared them with those people. I would ask and they would all say, well, I don't know about that. And, you know, uh, they're long gone or whatever. And I would say, listen, let me write down my address. If these pages or some pages from. Happen to materialize. Exactly. Happen to wind up at this address. It need not even come with a return address. That would be all right. And one day I came down to my mailbox and opened up. There's a big brown envelope with 17 pages from the Book of Change, which was the notebook you wanted to read. And it was like a Rosetta Stone for Facebook, a, a window into Mark Zuckerberg's psyche.
0: How many people did you do this, here, just take my address?
1: Uh, it was like a yeah, dozen, two yeah, dozen? Yeah, at least. It was well into double right, figures.
0: Right, right, right. Well, because that's what's so interesting about the story of Facebook is as much about the evolution. It's really about the evolution of Mark Zuckerberg as much about the company. It feels right. like they're kind of one and the same. And one of the things that comes out in the book is that he's always been this person obsessed with growth, with domination. And what's been really interesting is to watch the public perception and how that has changed. And the blame when things are going really wrong was like, it's Sheryl Sandberg's fault. Mm -hmm. She was the adult in the room brought in and like, he's just this coder who doesn't really like have a handle on what he's doing. But when you step back and look at especially all the stuff that you collected, when you go back to his days at Harvard and he's hacking into student journalist accounts to see what they're going to write about him. And he was always very, very deliberate.
1: Yeah. Definitely she did things to help grow up the culture. You know, I describe her as like a Wendy coming to the Lost Boys. But Mark Zuckerberg was always the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the decision maker. When Cheryl Sandberg came, they did, in a sense, split up the company and Zuckerberg said, you, you do all the things that I'm not interested in. He wanted yeah. product and engineering and Sandberg was in charge of stuff like uh, policy and sales, which he did a great job of building a sales force and interfacing with customers for ads and doing business model. But Zuckerberg, he didn't need an adult, he, he was running things.
0: Well that's what that's what's been so interesting is like to, it's taken a long time and I still feel like a lot of people still don't see it that way it's like you know this is just a kid who oh, and which he pedals
1: Yeah no he, I'm he, just a kid who yeah, started he, he this in my dorm that. Room. Yeah yeah back in the dorm we couldn't anticipate this but you think about it they were out of the dorm within 4 months and they were in Silicon Valley he was surrounded by some of the best minds in Silicon Valley mm. his short term mentor was this guy Sean Parker Yep. who was a brilliant guy who had been one of the forces behind Napster. Then he started a company called Plaxo. And he sort of got uh, screwed over by his funders and taught Zuckerberg how not to be screwed over. Yeah. Uh, they got connected with Reid Hoffman, who was really one of the great theorists of social networking, founder of LinkedIn. And, and Hoffman wanted to be the big investor in his company but realized it might be a conflict. So we introduced him to Peter Thiel, who became the first big investor, and Hoffman uh, and another guy, Mark Pincus, who would be head of Zenga, put in $35,000 each, which became worth, you know. Yeah, I hadn't realized, unbelievable. P- I
0: hadn't realized Pincus was not an early investor until I read your yeah. book. Yeah,
1: he had this great advice, and everything went great for him. Uh, he was able to make that pivot from a college network to something that served everyone in the world, which actually was a, a difficult task because the way things were structured yeah. in Facebook, even from a technological level, it, you know, it was like each campus was like a little island. So they had to change the whole infrastructure to do that while they're growing crazily, yeah. right? And what's that's what's one of the interesting things for me is I was, I
0: was at a, a reception for – an unnamed venture capital firm, of which they're, you know, every once in a while they throw these parties or whatever, invite a bunch of journalists and founders along and everything. And so I was kind what of, Where I, do they serve? Oh, uh, this is a very highfalutin Mexican. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was just sitting and I was talking to a couple of their portfolio companies, and just kind of unprompted, they start like waxing ra- rhapsodically about Zuckerberg, and this is post the election, post you know, Russia, all of this stuff had come out. Like Facebook had turned into like kind of a pinata for politicians and regulators around the world. And they're like, he's amazing. He is the best chief executive. What he has done is incredible. And I think through a certain lens, because I thought I walked away being like, this is crazy to me. But if you are about growth and creating a global product, he's was very deliberate and very successful. Deliberate, I'm
1: not sure, but you know, fast he is. You know, he he he's done an amazing job in that sense. And a lot of people are like your venture capitalists, and they'll talk about him in odd mm-hmm. cadences, and you know, uh, wow, amazing. <laughs> um, but I I have also talked to people high post Silicon Valley who. Say not for attribution, but I don't yeah. trust this guy. I never trusted this guy. Yeah, I don't like this guy, and it's, it's fascinating because his fans, they are like as you say, real fans, and they're saying, yeah, you know, uh, that he's like a learning machine. I've never seen anyone pick up more than, than him, and he is sort of a you know like a black swan in, in a lot of ways. He has done an amazing job to. Do something unprecedented, as that billion people's indicated. Now it's almost three billion. Yeah,
0: and in terms of the actual, the book, getting access, getting inside, interviewing all these people, are there one or two vignettes or things that you were like, kind of, you know, when you're writing, you're like, yes, I can't believe I got that. That's yeah.
1: great. Well, there, there are, yeah, there are some. I mean, I'm talking to some people about, for instance, the 2016 election. Mm. They shared with me how Donald Trump played the. The Facebook yes. platform, like a Stradivarius, they were in awe of how well the Trump people, with the help of Facebook, Facebook embedded some people into that yeah. campaign, and they made the same offer to the Clinton campaign, which turned them down. And, the
0: juxtaposition of those two in the book is yeah. extraordinary. What did Clinton campaign was just like, no, we're good.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're good. Or, or we're, they'll they or they take take an ad which was tailored for say women, and they say we want men too, which means they had to pay way high prices and get no bounce back. Whereas the Trump campaign was doing sometimes as much many as one hundred seventy five thousand variations on an ad in a day, and incredible. you know yeah. spe- specifically targeting it to people who that particular issue might resonate with. And they figured if someone wasn't a Trump supporter, they would try to. Target that person with issues to make them disgusted with the whole system and not vote. Yeah, and um, so the people at, at Facebook are telling me, "Wow, how we were in all of this, but we didn't really care because we figured there's no way he's going to win." You know, i learned about secret projects like the Facebook phone that was going to take on <laughs> Android and Apple. Right. it was codenamed Ghostface Killer. Yeah. yeah, then I had amazingly jaw dropping conversations with some people who were former employees hmm. um you know they gave me the lowdown on a lot of stuff too
0: do you have a view on the because there's a whole group of people including Sean Parker including Chamath Palapothea who obviously did astoundingly well and have now taken their hundreds of millions or billions yeah. and run and been like oh man i feel really bad about this yeah uh,
1: yeah no there is a whole club it does. Of, there is a you know, club Chris Hughes as well yeah yeah, thing. of people who were made incredibly rich by Mark Zuckerberg who now either part time or full time <laughs> you know <laughs> they against Facebook not ever giving them money back exactly but I don't know if you're filthy rich by it you might think shut up but it's it's a fascinating phenomenon you know that, that uh, Chamath He sort of unloaded once and Mm. he's actually close with Sheryl Sandberg and they had a conversation and he sort of walked back some of that stuff. Right, But in my interview with him, he told me amazing stuff about, that was one of those interviews, about the the growth and how he did around the growth team and did crazy things, some things that just pushed the borders of what was proper to do Yeah, and getting growth for Facebook. Um, one of the things he did was a thing called Dark Profiles that Zuckerberg, at first had, Wrote about in his book, yeah, in the notebook, the book of change, yeah. And Facebook always says, Well, we don't use these dark profiles, we never, you know, there, there might be something that we have technically there for security or something like that, but we wouldn't use it for ads or for boost membership. But Shamath told me that they had dark profiles on people and they would do things like take out ads in people's names. And when those people, people search for themselves, as everyone does on Google, right, yep. the ad would come up. The, the, the ad for what? The dark profile on Facebook. And they would say, wow, I'm on Facebook? I, let me take a look at this. And they, would, they might be moved to actually fill out the profile and actually sign up. And then, as it turns out, and this is another fascinating uh, fact, that part of growth is retention. Because yeah. when someone signs up for Facebook… They're in a very vulnerable period because they didn't, they didn't friend anybody yet. No one's friended them. So what's going to come up on their newsfeed? So Facebook did a few things about that so they, people wouldn't abandon Facebook right away. Mm. One is that uh, Chamath told me they would do this thing called Fluff Stories. It's just like make up stuff. And the other um, was they would use this uh, product they created which I said was like the Mona Lisa or like a rolling stone Mm. of the growth team um, their masterpiece called people you may know oh yes 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 yeah and which is the thing that You know, your listeners see we're kind of like a a police lineup of, you know, uh, people who you aren't friends with, who Facebook thinks you might want to be friends with. And these go from people who are familiar to you to people who you say, you know, how the hell did they know I know this person to people who I don't know this person. But once you look into it, you find that, you know, uh, Facebook knew you knew them even when you didn't know it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Like you know, the, so, the best example of that is some people who were mystified by who was suggested, and then they later came to learn that they were fellow patients of the same psychiatrist. And that's the thing,
0: the the other kind of principle that runs throughout Facebook and indeed Silicon Valley is like, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. But it does feel like that was like an abiding principle where it's like, I remember someone telling me about like, I think – there was at some point, and I might maybe get the details of the story wrong, but groups were public, and there was somebody who'd moved out here and enjoyed a gay men's chorus. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't come out to his family yet, but then yeah. they found out that he was part of this. And so effectively, he was outed by Facebook.
1: Yeah, the, Facebook has had uh, situations like that a few times. And, you know, at one point, I think it was 2009, they just changed the default status of yeah. who would see your posts from friends only to everybody. And that was one of the things that got them cited by the Federal Trade Commission right. for violating privacy in a 2011 consent decree.
0: And so here we are in 2020. They have nearly 3 billion people across WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook. I came away from your book not very confident that the way Facebook operates is going to change and that kind of – now they're moving fast with – Sound infrastructure, whatever, yeah, yeah, stable infrastructure. infrastructure. But it does feel like the just the default setting of the company and the default settings of Mark Zuckerberg are to just continue to grow when there's not a there's not a kind of a moral reckoning uh, about well, should we be doing this or doing this in in this way and growing this fast and being three billion people big? Is that too big to govern? Is this thing out of control? What is your sense after spending three years on this and talking to people inside and outside the company? Yeah.
1: So I, I think you, you're on to something. I, they're spending huge amount of effort to fix things that led to these problems. Like content moderation, for example. Content moderation, yeah. trying to fight fake news, minimize it. Yeah. particularly in things that are getting a lot of traction to lessen hate speech. to They're pretty successful really getting rid of terrorist content. Yeah. That's something that AI is pretty good at. But essentially, they still are moving fast. Because you know, in 2012, there was a near-death experience at Facebook because they were slow to, to dominate to on mobile. mobile. Right, right. Yeah. And for a while, they weren't making money on mob- mobile. They had to figure out how to do that. And this was around the time they did their IPO, which was unsuccessful. Yeah. And I think Zuckerberg vowed never to let that happen again. So he feels he has to keep moving and take what's next. Right. And I had a really interesting conversation with him once, not long after Cambridge Analytica, the biggest scandal yeah, yeah. in their history. And they were about to go into a developer's conference. It's their big annual event. F8. Yeah, exactly. Fate, you know. Yeah. And
0: Which was just canceled because of Chrome. Yeah,
1: they canceled it this yeah. year because uh, – coronavirus. And I wonder, gee, maybe they didn't have anything great to announce. (laughs) But (laughs) But, cynical of you. But I said, what are you going to do in your keynote? And he said, well, the first 15 minutes, I'm going to talk about winning back trust. And in the second 15 minutes, I'm going to announce all the new things we're doing because we have to keep moving forward. And one of those things was Facebook dating. Yes. And I said, dating? I said, Mark, um, do you think it's a good idea, you know, a good time to do dating, considering all the criticism you are under about hailing privacy and, and eighty-seven million profiles of Facebook found its way into the hands of you know these right-wing maniacs? Who, you know, and he said, "Well, we've always people always used it for dating. We've never been explicit. Yeah, you know, we got to talk about other things." Then he sort of circled back and he said, "Do you think it's going to be a problem that people are going to be critical of the dating thing?" Like, huh. that's a, that
0: was a genuine question. Yes, and that's exactly that's perfect summation of what I feel after reading the book.
1: Yeah, and and he thought about it, right? And he announced it anyway. <laughs> I, 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 he's not going to listen to me.
0: No. And so, and to, do you have a sense? I mean, because obviously the regulators are coming over the horizon now. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're on the top of the hill. Of, Celsius, you know exactly, and everybody <laughs> compares it to Facebook. Uh, sorry, to Microsoft. And Microsoft, you know, they were told to break up and then fought the government for twenty years, and you know, they're basically not a consumer brand effectively anymore. But they're worth a trillion dollars, and yeah. they stuck together. Do you have a, s- a sense of the direction of travel or, or what the company is thinking internally about how they plan to navigate this, other than just lawyering up and just being like, "No, we're fine."
1: Well, one thing they did was, and you know, I write about this. There's more attention played now on what's called this privacy focused vision, where yeah, they're the going to private, right? More energy now in the messaging services like WhatsApp and Instagram as, as a messaging service, and you know, Facebook Messenger. The story of that is really underappreciated, how they ripped it out of the the main Facebook app. And made it a separate app, right? Yeah, made you install it, which is like Silicon Valley 101 on how to piss off users. Yes. But they did it, and they got past it, and now it's a billion-plus user Behemoth on its own right. So he's going to use those and and encrypt those. And and under the hood, it's all Facebook. So the data will be shared. So the people who are on Instagram would think, ha-ha, I've deleted Facebook. Well, they're still part of all that. Microsoft did sort of a similar move when it was under scrutiny. It made that browser part of the operating system and said, we can't possibly pull us apart. It's it's part of that. And that didn't really work with the judge uh, who ordered they be split up. But they just waited till the next administration and that let them off the hook. So I think it's either going to take a very long time or just probably not happen at all that Instagram and WhatsApp will be pulled out of Facebook. But what will happen and is happening now is that Facebook cannot buy TikTok. Correct. right? Which they would love to do. And Microsoft was constrained for a number of years, and that's when other things sprang up and challenged uh, its power, and and that's why it's not a consumer company. TikTok is whatever. I don't know how many downloads it's
0: now, but it's like the next – it's like the kind of right in the crosshairs, you would think – yeah. For Zuckerberg.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's going to be some sort of feature at Facebook where it encourages people to, like, you know, <laughs> shake their booty for 12 seconds, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it probably will fail, but, you know, it'll come out something else.
0: Yeah. The train is now approaching junction and platform passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next
1: stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with.
0: What I don't quite understand about this, and I don't know if you have insight into this or not, but it seems to me that the whole secret sauce of Facebook is they know me, and they know you, or they know their users. But if things are end-to-end encrypted, as they are on WhatsApp, aren't they basically bringing down the shutters on what they know about their users, and therefore does that not undermine the whole business?
1: Not really. No, 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 no. The... Yeah, I mean, it, they don't. They don't. They've never really mind the content mm. of what you say, right? They mind. You know, they look at what you look at. They look at who you're communicating with, and you know all this stuff is linked, right? So, if you're communicating through WhatsApp, they still know who you are through Facebook, and your likes and your likes could be anywhere in the web, right? Mm. So they still know plenty about you, and they're not going to have difficulty figuring out which ad to send to you. So when
0: they say end-to-end encrypted, what is it they – Well, what's going to be protected is
1: message content. Right. And Facebook won't read it, can't read it. They can now. But they won't be able to read it. It's like they can't read the content of what's on WhatsApp now. You know, The founders of WhatsApp told Mark Zuckerberg, we're encrypting because they were strong believers in that stuff. Facebook will still be able to do its business with encryption, and some people are really worried that uh, law enforcement might have a difficulty for child trafficking, things like that, knowing what's going on. And some people at Facebook were really upset about yeah. it. That you know, probably the second most important executive of Facebook, a guy named Chris Cox, left. I think in part because he was unhappy with that very thing. But it's a strange thing because you know I'm, I'm actually a big advocate of encryption. I wrote a book called Crypto, you know, about how great that was, but uh, law enforcement has a way around that too. That, that that that's sort of a red flag, but the the, the key is that this is something that Facebook can do and build up, and that's where the growth is in these companies. They haven't even begun to monetize WhatsApp. And no. Instagram, you know, they are making a lot of money on, but that's still on the rise. Um, Messenger they haven't begun to really seriously monetize it. So Messenger and WhatsApp—that's their revenue growth. So by building those up, they're going to get their growth in the future and keep that stock by, price. By ads, them. yeah, right. By ads or commerce, which is what they see as a way to make money from those platforms. Well, I was at like Facebook Marketplace. I was reading some on some.
0: Metric it is bigger than maybe by users than eBay already yeah, that could be, and it 's really like not a great product, yeah, so exactly. if they, they improve it, just imagine what that could be right, right. do you see the future that uh, then as this becomes kind of like a utility that and will be somehow regulated as such, but that this is
1: that this is part of the social fabric now yeah, i mean it 's not dropping off it 's still yeah. rising They sort of plateaued in North America. But, in other places of the world, it 's still going up, particularly in you know instagram that 's just rising. yeah you know, I write about how in recent years, there was a feeling among the Instagram team that Zuckerberg was jealous of instagram success, and well, i've
0: read a lot about that at the time is that that was a, that was a real kind of sense within
1: the company, certainly within instagram and right you know, they, and Zuckerberg was sort of denying their requests for right. more engineers, and he was sort of. Pulling away advantages that they had in terms of linking to the blue app, the main app. They wanted to introduce their own messaging, separate messaging thing, Instagram Direct, and Zuckerberg put a stop to that. And essentially, he made it so uncomfortable that the CEO of Instagram and his co founder, Mike Krieger, quit. It was clear that Zuckerberg was not unhappy with this, even though Sistrum was like a brilliant executive and built you know, Instagram to an amazing power, you know, uh, worth so much more than the lousy billion dollars that Zuckerberg (laughs) paid, which seemed a lot like a, like a lot of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, because now it's worth, I think, some analysts estimate it's like a hundred billion dollars. Right, But it does feel like his circle has shrunk quite markedly.
1: Yeah, it has shrunk, but, there are a number of people who are there from early, early on. The guy who's in charge of coronavirus is a, a, a fellow who, was his college classmate at Harvard. right? You know, the night they, he launched the Facebook, he and this other guy, you know, like went out to the pizza place and, you know, looked at the results. Do you see any, I don't know what the best word is,
0: fatigue or a ill effect from him kind of losing a lot of the people that...
1: Well, some of them, you know, like a like fellow Chris Cox we mentioned, he left. That was a huge blow. Yeah. You know, there are a number of people. There was this photograph that was taken at Facebook's, Birthday a couple of years ago, Zuckerberg was surrounded by, or maybe it was Zuckerberg's birthday. There was a the time they gave him like a like a meat cake, Ugh. a cake with designed with things that looked like pieces of meat. Right, 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 know, right. When right. It, my fact checking, they said no, no, it wasn't meat. It was like things that looked like meat. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was like maybe like twenty five or thirty of the people who were his inner circle. Some of them are gone. But the others are the ones that he taps when a big opening comes up, like we need someone to replace Kevin Systrom at Instagram, or we need someone to replace the WhatsApp founders. And that guy left, and then they picked another one person yeah. from that picture. As fewer people get the picture, they, it's a dilemma because Zuckerberg really trusts people who've been around a long time. Do you think Sandberg is sticking around? It's hard to say. I don't know what's in her head, but she told me that originally she was going to be there for five years. And it's been more than ten. Yeah, there's no great time to leave when the company isn't doing well.
0: But it is doing well.
1: Well, no, I mean it's doing well financially. Yeah, you know, its stock price is blue chip, but its reputation stock is penny stock, right? <laughs> and you know, so, and yeah, and even though Samberg can take a lot of credit for the financial success, she also has a lot of responsibility. Less than Zuckerberg's, but responsibility for the other stuff and
0: one of the other things and which struck me, Zuckerberg seems to be clinging to this idea of like of uh, free speech, like mm-hmm. got we're huge supporters of free speech, and that drives a lot of the decisions around basically hands off like people will figure out what's fake and what isn't, like you know, and then they realize belatedly that that's not the case, et cetera. But all of it feels like, for example, him talking me, like so passionately about free speech. It feels like it is in service of actually just growth. And right. That, well,
1: I mean, it's part just two things. Again, I think it's something that you know fits his values. That's he, what I'm trying he, to get expressing at. Yourself, those, expressing yourself. Yeah. Expressing yourself. That's the way he puts it. He doesn't say free speech and say uh, you know I'm the reincarnation of Judge Brandeis, but <laughs> he says. I really want my this to be a platform where people can ex- express themselves. Mm-hmm. But he also wants it to be a platform where people are safe. So he built this platform to where the kind of content which could be considered toxic or unsafe can move very fast and can be very popular. The dilemma he's in now about, say, censorship versus yeah. safety is one that he created for himself. Yes. So it's not like you could just now say, oh, free speech, good, um, how do we reconcile that? It's like, it's possible to envision a Facebook that, where that wouldn't be as big a problem. And also, as you mentioned, if you adopt free speech and, and are less involved in determining what content is toxic or dangerous, then you don't have to have so many people you know, making those decisions at scale where they, you know, can't really do it well because the nuances in doing this right can't be done giving you know uh, some contract employee in Phoenix or the Philippines, you know, uh, four hundred decisions a day on these content content issues. Yeah, what was the hardest thing about writing the book? Look, when I the way I write books is it's a story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a nonfiction novel. Yep. And the structure of the novel, actually, in this case, sort of became easy because I felt there's only one way to write this story. It's a story of something that started out a certain way and then and ended a certain way, and how you get there and you know what the physical human drama is yeah. in this, as well as the story of technology and society. So that was easy. It was hard sort of shaping how that fell in. I wound up writing more about the early part of Facebook than I thought Mm. I would. Who was the playwright, was Strindberg, who said that if you put a gun in act one, it's gotta go off in act three. So I had the opposite, I I was looking at act three while the guns were going off. And I said, where do those guns get planted? So you have to go back in Facebook's history and Zuckerberg's history to understand that. And it took me a while to sort of settle into that I actually thought I would start writing sooner but as it turned out I didn't start the write serious writing part until January of 2019 right and then for the next eight months I was writing but also doing some keeping up with the story right, right. doing interviews and and I had my last great interviews with Zuckerberg that year was there ever a moment
0: where you thought because you obviously you start as you say it's kind of peak Facebook Right, it's the great. It, this is the greatest kind of story ever. And this kid, thirty something or twenty something at that point, he's a billionaire. Oh my god, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, he started in his teens. Yeah, did you ever get the sense that he was like, you know what, I'm done here because this story is obviously going in a different direction <laughs> because that's just the way. The- well,
1: anyway, it's great. Now, I my rule of writing. Yeah, is there's a, there's like Levy's rule, and this is it, that the story you find when you research something, is always more interesting than your preconception of it. Yes. So if stuff happens that changes what you do, that's to be expected, and that's great. Because it's more interesting than saying, oh, I'm going to tell the story. You know, I wrote a book about Google before, and it's going to be like the Google book or Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And no, 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 real life. This is why I do it. Like I'm writing about real life and real life is fascinating. And if you have the opportunity to go in for hundreds of pages to about a story and capture the nuance of the story. You know, we've been inundated with headlines about Facebook over the past couple of years. Yep. Every day you turn the paper, you know, literally I knew, and maybe this is at first it seems like a, a, a rough part. I knew it every day in the morning. Probably 75 to 100 reporters, top reporters around the world, would wake up in the morning yes. and figure out what shit can I dig up about Facebook today? And there's always something, right? Absolutely, so, yes. Yeah, so I, you know, your instinct is to say, oh my God, they're getting all the good stuff. But no, 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 these people are your friends. They're helping dig up parts of the story that yeah. you'll choose from or follow up on. It turned out to be a much more interesting story. Than I thought, and you know, because it was all there that that pivot that was unfolding before my eyes from beloved to reviled. Did you ever get a sense that Zuckerberg was kind of going to bow out
0: of his agreement to basically? Well, it take was nothing work? in
1: writing, they could have easily, right? You know, said, you know what, we're not cooperating anymore. Yeah, I couldn't say, no, you, you agreed to that, you made yeah, a verbal yeah, yeah, agreement. Yeah. No, 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 you know, they, it was basically saying, okay, we'll let you in. I gave up no nothing in order to do that, so it you know wasn't saying you know that it's a contract yeah, like yeah. that. it was just a, you know where we were going to go, how we were going to do this and I think they hit their troubles they probably assessed it. I think people told me this happened that they said, well, is this still worth cooperating with him, and yeah. then they figured by then he's going to write it anyway, and historically he's been fair give Give him a chance, and let's let's tell our side of the story to him, and you know in hopes that he'll listen to it again, trying to throw it forward. do you feel that the company and/ or Zuckerberg
0: has changed from that kid from all those stories you dug up when he's like obsessed with Roman emperors and yeah. wants to dominate the world and kind of doesn't have much compunction about trampling people's privacy or really violating people's privacy the, the way he did in those early days and just being like, oh, sorry about that. Anyway, just kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. when he almost got kicked out of Harvard and uh, when he made – what is it? Face
1: Mash or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Rating people's looks and they hadn't given consent. And then his big takeaway was hmm, people are pretty voyeuristic. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. He said that in court yeah. or in a deposition. And it's kind of, of
0: like, like, whoa, okay, you're just – You're not like most other people.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty fair to say. You know, he's an unusual person. But morally, do you think that's a problem? In some ways, he is very consistent. He's super consistent.
0: That's, I guess, my point is that he is super consistent. That feels like that's kind of the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's still, even more than he was before, he, he told, I read about an internal meeting where he said to people that, yeah, you know, there's two kinds of CEOs, wartime CEOs and peacetime CEOs. And this is sort of the terminology of Ben Horowitz, a well-known yeah. venture capital, capitalist. And um, he said, I'm, I'm now a wartime CEO. I don't think he was ever a peacetime CEO, really. But
0: I was going to say, it doesn't feel like he was ever a peacetime, yeah, peacetime yeah, CEO. Yeah, but this
1: time, he, a wartime CEO, one of the attributes is you don't have to take in much. You just make the ruling right away. Yeah. Um, I talked to his parents to get to know him better. After years, they finally agreed to talk. They to agreed. Me. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't hold them up at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Show up at their door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I
1: showed up at their door, but they were expecting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his mother told me a really interesting story. When he was in high school, he attended this public high school hmm. in a suburb of New York City, and the high school didn't have enough computer courses or advanced placement courses for him. And he wanted to go to a private school. Not too far. Down the road, Where there was a really excellent private school called Horace Mann. He had heard about a prep school called Phillips Exeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in New Hampshire. He had to board there. And his mother said, listen, you know, your older sister is going away to college this year. And I don't want to lose two kids. She particularly didn't want to lose him before she had to. He was a beloved single son in yeah. four kids. One, Four kids. His mother called him Princely. And she said, I want you to take a serious look at Horace Man. I really want you to go there uh, so you could live at home. Why don't you just do the interview and see if you like it? Yeah. And he said, I'll do the interview, but I'm going to Exeter. And he went to Exeter, of course. At what age? 15. Right. I thought of that when I was writing about the times where he wanted to go ahead on some product where – his lieutenants were saying to him, Not a good idea, or let's make this opt in because it's, yeah, you know, a violate. it could be a violation of privacy, or this product goes over the line. Um, and he would say, No, 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 we're going to do it. You know, we could fix it later if people object. And I just thought, Exeter.
0: Yeah, for me, that was the most salient thing out of the book was just like, he has always been this, the person that he is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's grown up. You know, he doesn't stare at you like that anymore. <laughs> Though if you ask him a certain kind of question, you'll get you'll get that look and one executive called it Sauron's gaze. Uh, <laughs> you know, and in a lot of ways he has matured. He's got a family. Yeah. He's married to the woman who was his girlfriend during the period he did Facebook, which is a surprise to some people who thought that one might think the social network that movie portrayed everything accurately. He's you know like a more convivial interviewer. I'm, I enjoy talking to him. I like him personally.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Any other nuggets from the book that from this odyssey that kind of stick out for you as like as you say you kind of go into something with you obviously have some preconceptions yeah. where right. you're like
1: whoa well. I loved writing about the phone project they developed. <laughs> that, that, you know, it was only gonna, a right-handed phone, right? Yeah, yeah. They're going to take on Apple and Android. And it was called Ghostface Killer. And it's, a, it's another Chamath production yeah. that they, they didn't make. I loved the stuff about the growth team, really eye-opening stuff. And um, I actually had a lot of fun writing about Cambridge Analytica, uh, that was almost a story within a story.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that. So you ha- obviously have some great perspective here, because half the people are like That's a bunch of bullshit anyway. Yeah. Like Cambridge Analytica were kind of selling a dream right. that wasn't that effective. What is your take, having kind of
1: dived deep into the the machine? Right. So my view is Cambridge Analytica happened in 2010. How so? That was when Facebook, you know, they had this platform yep. that where software developers outside software app creators could write applications on top of Facebook. Like Farmville, et cetera. Yeah. 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 And they could be games, they could be things like Spotify, people listen to music, they could be stupid things. The most popular ones early were things where you could do things like throw sheep at each other, right? And other idiotic things. Proved hugely popular and sort of ruin the news feed for a little while. Or you could do surveys. And in 2010, they stepped that up because they wanted to do a product called instant personalization mm. where you might go to a website and you could bring your whole social network with you. And again, people said, Mark, I don't think this is a good idea. Went and did it. And the thing about this thing was if you signed up for one of these apps or took the survey, mm. your the software developer would get access to your profile on Facebook, all the stuff you shared.
0: It was an, an implicit... Opening of the kimono to everything. Yeah. All your personal data.
1: But but yeah, all your personal data. But also all the data of your friends. Right. So each Facebook user has an average of one hundred and thirty friends. So and these are people who have no idea that you have signed up for this app and the developer is getting your information. And, and that, that
0: that that decision to basically make your data accessible, so I sign up. Like, what's my personality? Whatever that yeah. personality. Quiz. Well, your
1: likes are part of that too, right? Right. So and-
0: that decision to make by basically playing a game, making your data available and that of all of your friends, that was an a aff- that was an affirmative decision. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook yeah.
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: To because they wanted to create this instant yeah. personalization. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, they wanted the developers give them information back because the platform turned out to be a failure mm. because people didn't want to write apps for Facebook. They wanted to write apps for mobile phones, Yeah, yeah. which yeah. came up since, you know, literally the same month that maybe the month before the iPhone was introduced. Yeah, They came up with their platform. So the only use of the platform became an information exchange. So when they were unhappy about the reciprocity of the developers, they closed that, that loophole or, or, or gate. It wasn't just a loophole. Yeah. It was you know, like an attribute. They closed that in 2014 and uh, gave a year grace period to people who were using it. So that was the way that the Cambridge University researcher got
0: – Alexander Kogan.
1: Yeah, yeah. He did a survey, paid 200,000 people like pennies to take the survey yeah. and got all their – Connections, the profiles all their connections on there, and that was like eighty seven million people. And that was perfectly fine with Facebook. That was according to the rules. That was no problem with that. Yeah. The problem was when he violated Facebook's rules and sold them to Cambridge Analytica, you know, this company, this UK military contractor in partners with the funder of the worst right wing stuff in America. Yeah. But do you
0: have a sense of how effective that stuff was? People Curious.
1: say it really wasn't, that yeah. data itself wasn't that effective. And, you know, the head of the Trump campaigns he, who used Cambridge Analytica. Brad Parscale. Said, yeah, says I, I, it wasn't that, we didn't use that data too much. and um, But on the other hand, it was that company. Facebook kept selling ads to the company, even when the Cambridge Analytica wouldn't verify that they had deleted the data yeah, and that Facebook had asked them to do. It feels like that that data can be very useful in targeting people because of the way the Facebook system operates, that could be very helpful. So whether or not it was effective, potentially it could have been, and Cambridge Analytica wasn't the only company that wound up with a lot of that data. Yeah. There were like something like 40,000 app developers that took advantage of that. Do you think Facebook
0: now, given its size, is effectively too big to control? Given well, that, given the what do you
1: mean? Well, who? What do you mean? Control? You mean too big for Facebook to control?
0: Yes. Do what you want with machine learning algorithms. They're getting yeah. better. They're getting better. They're getting better. Etc. Yeah. But when you have that many people,
1: you don't want to control all speech, right? Do no. you mean too big to police? To govern? To yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, basically, even Facebook says we're never going to make this perfect. We're always going to you know, have a struggle. Hmm. to keep toxic content off the platform, to minimize fake news. In that sense, yeah, it is. But, you know, I mean, the question is, how much do you want to trade off? Yeah. Facebook traditionally has wanted to trade off more than people are comfortable with, at least what they've learned in the past few years.
0: And do you think that balance has shifted at all? You know, if you go back again to, a, you know, where you, where the guns were planted. Yeah, these, this obsession from day one with growth yeah privacy be damned right Obviously well at that- first
1: they, they they blew blew past they, those issues and now they say now for the first time says you know we're going to actually now take more of a look at what the impact of a product could be the negative impact of a product could be when we release it you know and it's like yeah, it's, isn't that kind of the kind of thing you should do, like, first? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. And that is all the time we have this week. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back with some piping hot, fresh stuff next week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in, for your reviews, your ratings. Telling friends, etc. I hope you guys are having a fabulous summer week, and uh, we'll be back, like I said, next week with more good stuff for you. In the meantime, stay safe and stay sane. This pandemic doesn't seem to want to go away. Um, but anyhow, hope you all stay safe out there. See you next week. Bye bye. Want more out of this podcast? Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to read articles based on these interviews, broader discussions of the topics covered here, and of course, the amazing work of all my colleagues across the rest of the paper, all for less than one pound a day. Start your free trial now by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley. Approaching. Junction at platform. Passenger Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station.
1: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.